Today's scripture comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at last, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry. I have plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of God for the people of God. If you haven't put it together already, this is a Thanksgiving worship service, is it not? We are so thankful, and we're thankful for the God that we have. We have a God that is righteous, a God that is just, a God that is loving, a God that is forgiving, a God that is with us. And have you ever considered um, what life would be like if we had a God that was not any of those things, right? A lot of people don't consider that. Can you imagine if God were not loving and he, were, and he was the only God? Uh, we'd have a problem. If a God were evil and just was malicious and had evil intent toward the people, when you really consider the other end of things, wow, what would life look like if God were like that? It, it would not be good at all. But we are thankful, and when you think of those things, we have a heightened thanks now of the God that we have because he is loving, and God has given us our, his word in Scripture, and we learn about God in Scripture, and today's Scripture passage comes uh, to us from an epistle. Now, there's a word that you don't hear every single day. How many people know what the word epistle means? Yeah, okay, okay, I'm counting, I'm counting, I'm counting. Um, if you don't know what it means, it means letter. That's what it means. And the reason why I'm, I'm kind of pointing that out right now, because some of you may have Bibles with the heading, the epistle of Paul too, and you fill in the blank there. It simply means letter, okay? So Paul wrote letters to the churches um, out, out throughout the regions that he was ministering to. And this uh, letter he is writing to the church in Philippi. Okay, um, a letter to the Philippians, the saints in Philippi. And out of all the letters that Paul has written, this one right here is his most expressive. There is emotion in this letter. A lot of times when we read letters and the things of the New Testament, we tend to just read the words and move forward, and we don't stop and say, wow, is, what is the writer feeling when he wrote these things? Um, and we have to allow the writer of these letters, in this case Paul, in other cases, the, you know, another author, well, we have to like insert and kind of imagine what they were feeling when they wrote these words. And you're going to see that this is you know, one of Paul's most emotional letters. And throughout this letter, Paul expresses what Greeks refer to as Cairo. How many people have actually ever heard the word Cairo? Some of you have, all right? There's Cairo ministry, you know, ministries out there. Well, Cairo is a Greek word I think that is worth learning. We've heard of agape, right? Agape love. We've heard of things like that. Um, don't feel bad if you haven't, okay? But Cairo is a Greek word that means rejoice. 
to rejoice, okay? And when I say Cairo or Kyreta, okay, it means you rejoice. So why am I bringing this out here? Well, in this letter, Paul uses Cairo, the word rejoice, nine times in this letter. Now, you might not, you may not think that's a lot of times until you realize that you can read this letter in about 10 minutes. It doesn't take long to get through this letter. It's only four chapters long. It's very short. And I could literally say, everyone, open up the Philippians right now and read through it. So in a short amount of time, Paul is using the word Cairo nine times. That's a lot of time. So he's emphasizing something here. So what I want to do is share with you what Paul is rejoicing in, this Cairo. Notice I'm trying to get that into your heads, all right? And in one of the verses, he says, what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. So what is Paul rejoicing in in this verse here? He's rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed in every way, no matter what. Okay? So he's rejoicing in the proclamation of Christ, which is me, which basically evangelizing, um, going out into the world, showing Christ, revealing, being the light of the world. So he's rejoicing in that. And then he moves on um, to say this, but even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith. Very confusing words. I'm going to unpack that in a couple minutes, okay? But um, he's rejoicing over this. I'll reveal what that is in a few moments, okay? He says, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you, with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. I can tell you this has to do with him serving Christ, what he's rejoicing in here, okay? And we'll get to that in a few moments. He, he moves on to say, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So you can rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And if the, at this point, it's kind of like, I get it, Paul. Rejoice. <laughs> right? You've used it nine times already. How do I know that you're really emphasizing rejoicing here? Because you keep on saying it. And you see this kind of going on through the letter. So I think it's safe to say that Paul, because of the Lord, because of God, Christ, Holy Spirit, because, because of those, he would rejoice. That gives him reason to rejoice. He was full of things like joy, delight, love, and thankfulness that caused him to rejoice and to invite others into this act of rejoicing. So you get a sense of joy, do you not? You get a, a sense of like just being thankful like we're celebrating today and you get a sense of love, and you get all those things when Paul uses rejoicing in this manner, and it's a very easy thing to see. If, if you haven't seen it before, if you go home and you read Philippians today, you're gonna see it, okay? But it's ironic that Paul would actually use rejoice in this letter. And it's, it's like, why are you rejoicing, Paul, when you know what, what's going on in the letter? And it's ironic because this letter is considered a prison letter. What do I mean by that? Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. And prison is not a fun place to be. 
All right, this is no easy ride here. I don't care when you're in prison or what prison you're in. You're in the ancient world. You're in a prison. It is not pleasant, all right? And so you have to ask, okay, Paul is in prison. The first thing you ask, why are you here? Why are you in prison? Now get this one. He was in prison for believing in the Lord and proclaiming Jesus as Christ, Lord and Savior. Now there's a story, there's a backstory to all this, but at the very root, that is why Paul was in prison. Now we believe in Christ. We believe in Jesus. We have the word of God. And many of us have grown up believing. Many of us don't remember when we began to believe because we grew up in the culture of Christianity, did we not? As far back as I remember, I've been going to church. I just know the stories I've believed. I will tell you that many, most of us, okay, I don't know all your stories, okay, but I, I think it's safe to argue that most of us, if not all of us, have never had to make a decision to become a Christian that will cost us our lives. We would ne there are people in this world today that struggle with whether to believe what you believe so easily, what you grew up with, will cost them their life. They will be killed for their belief. There are some places in this world, even right now, where someone is being tortured for their belief in Christianity, in, in Jesus Christ, not in Christianity, but their belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I want you to be thankful in this moment that you can gather so easily in this free country that we live in and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want to stress, when you compare Okay, how people view Christians in this nation, and you hear Christians saying, I'm being persecuted. No, you are not. You cannot, you do not have the right to say, I am being persecuted when people are just talking about you and saying negative stuff about you and trying to hold you down. You can say you're being persecuted when your life is at risk, okay? I mean, those are forms of oppression and persecution. Okay, but till the, until the moment you're like, I'm a Christian, this is putting my very existence at stake here. And who knows, that there, there are um, governments that would fillet people for their beliefs in Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. Now, you are not persecuted. You should be thankful, okay, for that. Sometimes I do wonder if all the pleasures and all the comforts we have is a form of persecution. I know that sounds really weird, but sometimes if you're so comfortable, where's God in that? Okay? So, you know, you do have to put these things into per perspective here. If life is suffering and life is full of those things, and um, Jesus says you are going to suffer as a Christian, how are you going to suffer as a Christian? Like Paul, are you finding yourself in jail? Chances are if you're in jail um, in America right now, I'm not going to come here and say, are you in jail because of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Chances are you did something wrong, <laughs> okay? And it's not good, all right? At most, you're picked on. We're picked on Christians in America. We're not persecuted like the true sense of that word, persecuted like, like some people experience. And I really want you to understand that, okay? So Paul is in prison for his belief in Jesus Christ. Now, if I saw that, and I didn't know anything about Christianity or Jesus Christ, 
I would be like, wow, a lot of good. God got you there in that situation. You're in jail, <laughs> right? Where is this God now? Right? And you, got, you have to ask that question. But check this out. It gets worse for Paul. Remember I said that this letter he was very emotional in? All right, it gets worse. Paul was waiting for his trial to be heard before the Roman government in this letter. He appealed to Caesar, and he'll say, let them decide, because the Jews that were coming after him, he didn't want them to decide. They were, they were, they were against him. So he appealed to Caesar, and in this letter, you see Paul wrestling with what that outcome could be. There's two outcomes. One, either Paul could die. He would be put to death, all right? And remember I said I would unpack, um, unpack that verse before? Well, let me do that really quick right now. He says, but even, even if I'm being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, you know what he's talking about there? His death, blood would spill, poured out like a libation. <laughs> if that were the case, I still rejoice. You think he's not wrestling with something here? Because in the same breath, he turns around and he says, but I could remain with you. They could set me free. And in that, I rejoice too because I could be with you and there's work to be done in the Lord. So you have Paul wrestling with what's going on here. A lot of times we like to read this verse and we're like, but if I'm being poured out like a libation and the sacrifice, you know, we read all this strength into it. Now Paul is wrestling psychologically <laughs> with what's going on here. Um, just because he's in the Bible doesn't mean he doesn't wrestle with things like that, okay? John the Baptist wrestled with things like that, of his death. Why am I in prison? Is this is just the Jesus, right? We see Jesus himself wrestling with life and death and what he had to go through in the garden. Paul was wrestling here, but here's the thing. Either way, either life, either death, Paul is going to rejoice. He sees it as a reason to rejoice. And I think we can learn something from that. So with this in mind, I want you to hear these words from our scripture passage today one more time. And it begins with the people gave Paul, sent someone, they gave Paul a gift. And he's thanking them for it, okay? But he doesn't need the gift, you see. Because he says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. That's how the scripture passage opens up. He's talking about this gift. Man, I don't really need it, but I've, been content. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. I know both sides of it. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. So those words are very powerful now that you, you kind of understand the context of what he's living in. And here's the secret. Paul calls this a secret. He says, I have learned the secret. This is the worst kept secret in the world. If Paul could just share this secret with everyone, he would, <laughs> right? This is a secret that has been passed around. And in that, Paul rejoices because the secret of Paul's rejoicing and his thankfulness and his ability to endure the struggles of this world is God. It's simply God. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, God. That is his secret. You don't have to read this. It goes, ooh, what's the secret? It's God. 
And in that, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through God who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. Well, this verse gets misunderstood. Very surprising thing to hear Pastor Kendall say that, okay? How is it misunderstood? We have to understand and ask the question, Paul, what do you mean by all things? What is all things? And the reason why I say that, because all things is all-encompassing, is it not? That's what all means. Okay, however, if I take a box and I fill it up with stuff, okay, I can say all things in that box, can I not? I'm not addressing what's outside of the box. I'm not saying all things in the world. I'm not saying every single situation. I'm just saying what's in the box, am I not? Can I have all things that are in that box? Does that make sense? All things in Scripture. This doesn't include the Iliad or, you know, write other writings. It says all things in here. So when I say all things, now I'm addressing all things in, in, in the Bible. I'm not including other things. And I want to really draw your attention on this, this verse here. What is all things? Because I have seen literally this verse printed out on banners during football season when the team's running through and it says, I can do all things, okay, through, through him who strengthens me. And they bust through that banner and then they lose the game, <laughs> right? Well, what is all things then? Well, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you say that? Because I can tell you that's not what Paul meant. He didn't say all things like that. So what did Paul mean by all things? Okay, well, I can do all things from a verse that is taken out of context. I really can, okay? I'm really good with words. You just see me go, <laughs> okay? But listen, you gotta keep this in context. Really important. All things are those things that you're going to go through on behalf of your Christian convictions. All things are those things that you're going to go through based upon those convictions and your belief that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You're going to experience trials because of that. And in that, God will strengthen you in all those things that you go through for being a Christian. You see how we just pulled that in? Because you got to consider what Paul is going through in this scripture passage. He was suffering, he was in prison. And yet he rejoices. So all things are specific to Christ things. And I say this because regardless of whether someone is a Christian or not a Christian, they may, be, they may practice something else. That doesn't determine what kind of things they're going to endure in life. Both Christians and non-Christians or people of other beliefs, they get into car accidents just as much as we do. All right? They do wrong things just as much as we do. I, I'd like to think that we're focused on doing the right things. Um, Non-Christians happen to get diseases and sickness just as much as Christians do. So all things then, right? What are we talking about all things, okay? All things are Christ things in this context. Because life, life is full of trials and suffering, is it not? And regardless of your belief, that's regardless of your belief. You're going to suffer. You're going to have moments of joy too. You're going to have moments of thanksgiving. This week you will have that. So I can do all things may not include your ability to pass the test that you didn't study for. <laughs> okay? All things may not be that you're going to be the best at a particular thing. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me is specific to what God has called you into. And in this, Paul rejoices, and you should too. Well, what reason do you need to rejoice? Consider this fact, and then we're going to begin to close. Ever since Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul's life was anything but easy. Think about that. In fact, much of his life is portrayed as suffering. Even God himself said in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul's life was suffering. Let me ask you this question. We're getting in the Advent season right now. Mary, God, the angel showed up and told Mary that she was going to birth, right? Give birth to the Son of God. Do you think her life got easier? From when I read that account, it got harder. Think she rejoiced? <laughs> that, that does put things into perspective. So even God himself said that Paul would suffer, and in that, he still rejoiced. What reasons do you need to rejoice? Now, here's the height of the sermon. I need you to focus on this and carry this throughout the week, okay? You can be thankful for something, Thursday, or whenever you celebrate Thanksgiving, you will stand up at your table and you'll be like, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this. But that doesn't make you a thankful person. That means you're thankful for things. So with this in mind, there are some people in this world who have every reason to be miserable, but instead they are thankful and full of joy. Do you know people like that? They don't project their situation upon others and rather than be negative and complain and criticize everyone because they're just living through pain and this and that, rather than do that, they're genuinely positive and helpful and uplifting. And that is a beauty. You want to know what beautiful is? That's beautiful. That's a beauty that transcends anything physical, anything you can look at. Someone who spreads the gospel and not their grief. That's your call. Spread the gospel and not your grief. But then there are some people in this world who have every reason to be thankful. Every single reason, but instead they are miserable. And these people just baffle me. They can find something negative in every person, in every situation they encounter. And I'm being very careful right now not to look at people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay? Because, you know, I don't want to hear, I saw you looking at me when you're, no, I'm not looking at anyone right now. I'm talking about people in general. And these kind of people exist in the church, outside of the church. They are everywhere. And they pull things down. These are naysayers. Last week, I addressed the letter of Thessalonians, and I said, um, busybodies. Remember that? I said, there are busybodies. These are busybodies. These people even have the ability to throw a compliment and an insult within the very same breath. What a gift. Give it up. My goodness, you know what I mean? And being part in a leadership position, um, you know, that I am, Give it up, because that just drags everyone down that's pulling the rope in this direction. And only to, you ever see a, um, a, a balloon full of helium, it gets pulled up, and it seems like it's being lifted up so easily. It only takes one person to go, poof, 
and pull it down. Don't be that person. Let that balloon go. Stop being negative. Stop complaining. Can you? So again, I want to repeat this. There are some people in this world who have every reason to be thankful, but instead they're miserable. And there are some people in this world who have every reason to be miserable, but instead they are thankful and full of joy. Here's the question, which one are you? Who are you? So I'm gonna provide a moment of reflection and I'm going to ask that question because this week you will surely be a thankful, thankful for things. But I want to know, God wants to know, you need to know, are you a thankful person? Well, how are you going to figure that out? Right now we're going to close our eyes and we're going to reflect on these things. This is between you and God. You need to know where you stand. So let us do that. Let us just close our eyes in a moment of reflection and I will prompt. I will give you a prompt. Right now, think of your blessings. Count your blessings. There are certainly blessings that you have. Family. Is it the people surrounding you right now? How do you feel about those blessings? more? Is what you have enough? What reason do you need to rejoice? Is Christ enough, just having Christ? What if you found yourself in prison like Paul for your belief? Would you rejoice? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? How about this one? When you hear messages and sermons at church, are you thankful for that? Or are you constantly thinking, wow, this sermon can definitely be applied to someone else you know. That other person needs work. Not me. Are you uplifting? Generally speaking, are you uplifting in life? Or are you a naysayer? Are you optimistic? Genuinely, do you look at things and say, yes, I see God working in this? Or are you the person that has to insert a but into every situation? But... thankful or are you not a thankful person amen that's that's a tough thing to do reflect on those things it's a very tough thing to do and I appreciate you doing that and um, but we have to really get into the habits of assessing who we are as a people okay when you come to St. John, 
It's going to be a transformative worship service. I want you to leave here not saying, oh, that was a good sermon. I want you to leave here saying, that transformed me. All right? Let us sing with joy um, the last hymn that I don't know. Rejoice, the Lord is King, page 715. I am thankful for you, Chris. <laughs> That was a good sermon. That was good. I know a lot of people that needed to hear that one. I said, I know a lot of people that needed to hear that one. Oh.